Hello and welcome to The Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and my guest today is Brent Bratton, filmmaker, ma- the marketing genius at Good Robot. Thank you so much for coming to The Sanctuary today. Thanks for having me, Israel. Uh, and those are very kind words. Uh, <laughs> marketing genius, I wouldn't go that far. but uh. Well, um, so we'll get into it. <laughs> we'll get into it. Um, yeah. So first off, um, what? How did you get into working at Go Robot and like doing what you do now? Uh, it's a long story. If you have time, right. I'd love to tell it. I have some time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Israel, let's do this. Um, so uh, my wife and I moved. Uh, we we were living in Spain up until about uh, six years ago. Um, we moved back to Canada purely to. Uh, renew our work visas we were speak we were teaching English there and um, in the interim I had a lot of difficulties with my paperwork in the interim I decided I needed a job while I was here in Halifax and I uh, applied for this brand new uh, brewery that hadn't yet been opened called Good Robot Brewing Company and initially I applied for the job to fill growlers and maybe serve some beer once the tap room opened uh, but what that quickly became was uh, it became a full-time sort of not only job, but like a lifestyle change uh, to a point where my wife and I chose rather than to move back to Spain, we actually stayed here. Um, my wife, Kelly, became the uh, the head brewer there for a number of years. And I ended up going from uh, uh, bartender to manager to uh, creative director. Um, and that's the that's the uh, that's the the title I currently hold. Um, it's not a traditional creative director role though, because um, I am involved with um, I do uh, any any of our uh, video uh, advertisements. Uh, I work with our marketing team to sort of create uh, campaigns. Uh, I'm also <laughs> well. I also work within. Uh, uh, we're doing a training program right now for once we uh, get a chance to hire back everyone that we had to lay off because of the closure of the, the brewery. We're trying to do a brand new uh, strategy so that we can uh, make sure everyone goes through this kind of, we call it a good robot community college so that uh, everyone gets a chance when they start with the, the with the job to uh, sort of touch the, the uh, our sort of branding, our sort of like our community and our, our sort of belief system right off the bat. Uh, so I've been writing that for for a re-onboarding for our uh, for our staff members and yeah and then a lot of just design work and like that's and that's sort of the more creative director part where I have a a, a really great group of designers and we were able to uh, well during the during the quarantine uh, we were able to get a loan to purchase a canning line which is not cheap but um it allowed us to uh, deliver more beer because uh growlers even though we were we were trying to create this sort of fun uh delivery system where uh it was similar to how you would have gotten milk uh in the old days where it's like you put your old empty jar of milk on step and then someone comes and replaces it with a full one but uh that that was a really difficult uh program to uh maintain because uh, it's constantly educating people on how to clean their growlers and how and you know you know what you know getting deposits back um we decided just we should just go for cans is a good opportunity 
Um, and this was also a really good opportunity for me to hire back my entire design team because <laughs> once we all of a sudden had a can, canning line, then all of a sudden we needed 10, yeah. 15 new designs for 10 or 15 new beer cans. Uh, so we uh, we ended up working our socks off over the course of the last year, basically, uh, creating like good robot branding for each of our individual uh, uh, products, uh, which is great. And uh, we find ourselves a year later, and now we've got four uh, of our of our products in the NSLC, and pretty much any NSLC you can imagine across Nova Scotia. We're getting more and more as we go. So uh, over the course of the last year, I've I've done a lot of I've worn a lot of different hats, I guess. <laughs> um, we'll come back to Good Robot, but let's go back a bit. How did you get into teaching English uh, in Spain? Oh, that's a that's another really good long story. Uh, <laughs> um, like I'm from Saskatchewan originally, and uh, I moved here um, with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, but we broke up when I when I when after we settled in. And I ended up just uh, uh, living uh, by myself and working at Video Difference for a couple of years. Uh, then I met. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Oh, you remember Video Difference? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a, such a great building. Mm. Yeah. That was really fun to work for as well. Uh, it, I mean, if you're a cinephile, uh, there's no better place to spend your time than just uh, just like roaming those stacks. We had over 30,000 videos at one point. And uh, it's kind of yeah. like it's I mean, if you're a cinephile, it's heaven. <laughs> right, 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 um, right, right. Yes. Anyway, so I was working. I was working at Video Difference. And I was single and um, um, probably not eating enough and everything. And then I, I met my wife, Kelly. Uh, she she uh, is a, a she's a, a polyglot. She's, she speaks a lot of languages and she's been, she's been spending time in Spain and we met. And we fell in love, and then she's like, "Well, I'm going back to Spain," and uh, so I, uh, you know, I followed her, and I ended up uh, teaching with her at, a, at an academy in Bilbao, in the Basque Country. How was it there, though? Was that? How was it there in Spain? Oh, Spain is great. Uh, I could talk about Spain forever. It's really interesting. <laughs> um, we How lived... long did you guys live there for? We were there for three years. Um, we stay, we, we live mainly in the north of Spain, which is interesting. The weather's really similar to how it is here in Nova Scotia. Um, mm. the Basque country, uh, is a, we lived in the Basque country for a while. We lived in Galicia for a while as well. And those are two very different provinces and very much not exactly what you'd imagine when you think about Spain. Um, uh, I think what are your first time, when you first think about Spain, you think about Barcelona. You know, you think about beaches and, and you think about uh, all that amazing, like, Moroccan architecture and the Gaudis. And um, up north, it's a little bit more rugged. Uh, mm. It's um, uh, the temperament is very different. It's uh, um, is less less of a siesta culture, though very much still. Um, I don't know. I found I found Spaniards to be very friendly, um, really, really uh, easy to get along with. And like there's like this sort of late night eating culture there, which I really, which I really miss, um, sort of wandering from, uh, uh, bodega to bodega, eating, uh, pinchos and, and drinking, uh, terrible international lager. 
<laughs> terrible international lager. Um, and then you, and then you also do film, right? Yes. Uh, let's talk about film. So, apart from video difference, like you know where you celebrate your love for film, how did you get into making film? Um, I went to uh, the University of Regina in Saskatchewan uh, uh, for film production, and after graduating or convocating from from that program, I ended up staying in uh, Saskatchewan working in the film industry there for about uh, six to eight years, uh, which is really great. I got a chance to work with uh, some uh, amazing uh, um, international uh, celebrities. Uh, my, 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 I, I actually I, I did a uh, worked on a behind the scenes documentary of uh, Terry Gilliam's Tideland, which is really exciting, uh, which was directed uh, by Vincenzo Natale. Uh, so not, not only did I get a chance to work with one of my sort of film idols, but like sort of two of them simultaneously. Right. I was OK. Yeah. 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 OK. So that was that's pretty fun. So I, that's how I got into film was just, um, you know, I, I, got, I broke into that industry and I was working in, in production offices and did a lot of uh, a lot of that stuff. And I was working, my, doing my own short films while I was there. And then we lost our tax credit in Saskatchewan uh, shortly before I moved out here. Which is funny because uh, then as soon as I moved here, you lost your tax credit as well. <laughs> Please don't right. blame me. It's not my fault. Right. It's like wherever Brent is, the tax credit goes away. Yeah, I'm toxic, <laughs> man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so like um, uh, uh, not not being really any film jobs when I got here, I, I started working at film, Video Difference. And I, really liked that. And I went into teaching. And um, when, I, when I moved back, uh, I and got this job at Video Different or at Good Robot. Uh, one thing that they allowed me um, when they realized that I had some of these sort of hidden talents was they allowed me to sort of start a, a, a video advertising program with with Good Robot. So uh, I ended up doing a bunch of like weird video ads for them, and that was sort of and that sort of like boosted me back into writing and directing like some of my own projects. And so I ended up. Uh, pitching a project about uh, mutant owls in the woods to uh, our mutual friend Amy Treffery, and uh, and that that film ended up doing quite well. We won a couple awards. Uh, we won a best uh, short drama in the Atlanta Underground Film Festival. This is jerky, right? It's jerky, yeah, yeah. So and then through that, uh, we ended up getting into the script development program with Michael Melsky. Uh, at the uh, film festival the year before last to develop that concept into a feature-length film. And now we've gotten our first draft that we're kind of pitching around. Um, nice. But yeah, so let's, like... Let's talk about Jerky a bit before you move on. Though. Sure, yeah. So you, you meet forever. Amy and then you're like, okay, I have this film. And she's like, great, let's do it. Well, you know, what happens from there? <laughs> well, the funny thing was um, at the time I was just really uh, obsessed with... Uh, Birds of prey, <laughs> you know, like owls and falcons and hawks and things like that. And uh, and it just turns out that Amy grew up on a raptor farm. And so when I when I did this pitch, she was like, "I'm really interested because um, you know, uh, handling hawks is like my second nature," which I thought was really really phenomenal. And uh, yeah. so yeah, so when we went and shot, we actually had we spent an entire day that was just our hawk day, and it was just Amy handling hawks. For uh, for the shoot, and they're, they're such beautiful, magnificent creatures. Um, 
Uh, actually, it's really funny. Um, af after we did our uh, our screening at the film festival in Halifax two years ago, um, I walked into the bar and Michael Melsky was talking with Adam Egoyan and he introduced me. And I know I should have talked to Adam Egoyan about filmmaking, but I, I was on such a high from like doing this pitch session that all I could talk about was hawks and, and, <laughs> and the hunting patterns of birds of prey. And I honestly, I talked to Adam Egoyan for 20 minutes about hawks and then we parted ways and I was like, I don't think he knows what my name is. I don't think he even knows I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> he probably thinks I'm just a crazy hawk guy. So uh, probably a missed opportunity there, but he seemed like a nice man. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched the film. I liked it. Um, and I remember talking to Amy before, and then it was one story, and then he changed in the final version. Like, as a filmmaker, how do you deal with that, you know, transforming your story as it grows um well your story has uh how do i put this i feel like anytime you're making something like it's if, if it's good it has its it has a soul it has a it has a, a voice it has a, a spirit to it um and sometimes you have to sort of allow that to just sort of uh you have to allow it to go, grow on its own in a way um like our initial idea it's funny because like our initial, our initial idea was to have a movie about these sort of metamorphized uh, bird creatures that like sort of like stalk these people in the woods. Um, but the more we sort of sat with it, the more we realized it was the human, it was the human uh, story that was the most impactful. And then mm. when we did our location scout, we found this beautiful place in Hans County uh, that had these two uh, uh, tiny homes on this uh, on this ridge that overlooked the sunset. It was absolutely beautiful. And at that point, it was like, well, that's I mean, this location has its own character now. Um, we need to take a second look at the script and make sure we're honoring uh, the characters, not only the human characters, but also the physical place. Um, so there was a lot of uh, 11th hour rewrites for that short film, uh, just just trying to listen to what's right for the spirit of the story, I guess. And uh, I think I think it turned out quite well. Um, and it's, but it is very different from our original script. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the monster uh, that was built, like or you know designed. How you, how did that idea come about? How did you guys go about building it? And now I saw the monster on the Goo Robot sign. And <laughs> what's that creature? Is it a creature? No, it's not. Creature it's a creature feature. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, that's really funny because uh, I started. Uh, I started uh, building uh, weird bird costumes when my my dad was sick with cancer, and I went back to Saskatchewan for a few months to uh, just to sort of help out at home and i found myself having this, a lot of extra time and i was through i'd started writing this this owl screenplay around that same time and uh, i just started building these weird masks these feathery masks uh, just as a way to just sort of like to be building to be, you know sometimes you know if, if you're in like a stressful life situation just being able to create or keep your hands busy or keep your mind occupied uh, and these these creatures sort of were that um and uh and so a lot of the original 
script even was based around these sort of like wearable sculptures that I had, I had worked on. And then um, when we went into production, uh, Amy and I, like, because I, I didn't have the original heads because they're in Saskatchewan, Amy and I started building our own sort of creatures, imagining what they looked like. I, I, uh, I, I, I utilized a, a ghillie suit that I had bought from a hunting supply store and uh, used some like spray paint and uh, actual Harris hawk feathers and uh, and uh, created like this beak and it was really it was fun it was really good it was like one of the last things that Amy and I did before we went into production it was really sort of it was really uh, meditative. But yeah, you're right. We went, we showed up on set and we shot a bunch of it and it was beautiful and it just didn't uh, work for the movie. So a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor. Most of it, in fact, other than like a couple seconds. Uh, so I had all this extra material and um, I we had just uh, come up with this new, uh, oh, we had just gotten a, an award for this, this new IPA called Creature Feature at Good Robot. Uh, and... Uh, yes, uh, at the Canadian Beer Awards, we got uh, silver medal for best uh, New England style uh, Canadian IPA, and we're like, well, we should do some uh, advertising for it. And I was like, well, I've got a creature uh, <laughs> in a suitcase. Uh, why don't we? Right. And I don't know what to do with this extra footage. So I mean, so we ended up just cutting it together and turning it into a uh, turning it into uh, like one of those hinterland who's 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 who uh, videos from uh, CBC where they. Um, where they discover interesting Canadian creatures. And then, uh, yeah, and then I, since I still have the costumes, I started just uh, using them for a lot of our uh, advertising for that particular beer. It just felt like, it felt like uh, I put so much time into like the thought about these costumes and I was, and like, and I had an idea of where they would go in their lives and they had a different idea and they went a totally different direction. So that's just the way life goes sometimes. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it was great to see, you know, the costume there. Um, and then let's go back to Good Robot. Um, one of the things that stood out for me was uh, I like love your Instagram page. It's so alive. And if you are the creative director, you definitely have a hand in that. Uh, one of the posts was about the... Um, having like the Muslim center as a neighbor and like, you know, issues from the past. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, uh, yeah, our relationship with the Islamic Center was, um, it's been a really big story that's sort of uh, been a part of our story for the past five years, of, of, of give or take, I guess. Um, and it's, and uh, the initial, the, it's also one of our, uh, our big humility moments, which um, which uh, I will get to here. Um, the uh, story starts uh, with just like the building of a uh, of a brewery next to a mosque. It's it's not traditional, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I guess the guy, the guys when they when they set it up, they had uh, they had conversations with uh, with the imam and uh, the community there about uh, what uh, this neighbor. Uh, situation would be like and then they w went off and and we sort of made this bar and created this like fun exciting experience but uh, i think one of the big mistakes we made was thinking that uh no news was good news when what we didn't realize is that um 
as you know, as as we were getting busier and busier, busier than we would have expected to have gotten that first summer, uh, the noise level noise levels had gotten louder and louder, and uh, there have been more you know cigarette butts on the sidewalk in front of the in front of the Islamic Center, and um, you know, and inevitably people are going to light up joints outside, and there's so there's, there's smoke sort of billowing in, and and yeah, uh, I guess we were. Um, we were sort of ignorant to the fact that we were trampling all over the Islamic Center's boundaries, and we um, and we were just being bad neighbors. And it all kind of came to a head uh, during the, the week of um, Pride in twenty was it twenty seventeen? Anyways, uh, it was the it was the it was the same week as the um, the uh, the mass shooting at the uh, at the uh, at the club in Florida, and that hit. Uh, the LGBTQ uh, community really hard. Um, and we were doing uh, an event for Pride that week. And uh, through, there were discussions made that was like, well, you know what, like everyone is really hurting. We should just really like crank this party up and let people sort of uh, off gas some of these like really intense emotions. And in the end, it was a really big party. We put a really great DJ on the roof and there were you know, glitter bombs and um, and shenanigans. Like it was, it was, a, it was a big party, but it was also the the last straw. It was uh, for uh, for our relationship next door with the Islamic Center, and so they uh, um, they uh, made a complaint, and we got to a point where uh, we had a a very real. Um, possibility of us having our liquor license revoked because of it. Um, that story got into the news. Uh, and it's interesting, even to this day, if you Google good robot, you don't have to go too many stories down to see the, uh, the headline, good robot makes a bad neighbor. And it was, yeah. I mean, it's a good headline. And it, it really touched on a lot of emotions and it created some really well some really negative back and forth online um but also you know like we kind of realized that like well this is this is when you're in a community when you're in a neighborhood uh there are a lot of um responsibilities that come with that and mm. that was like that was one of those really tough yeah like tough learning moments one of those sort of where you're like oh shit this is you know like we are in the wrong here. And so like uh, a big part of uh, everything we do operationally uh, since then, since we sat, we sat down, we had a meeting with them. We came up with a, a, a list of things that we can do between, between both groups. So a list of things we can do in order to make our relationship work and in order um, for, uh, for us to be able to uh, coexist in harmony. Um, and, you know, they're not hard things. Like, you know, we put up uh, some signs just to remind people where they are. Uh, we've um, taken every morning uh, when we open up the bar, we, we uh, jot down all of the, uh, the different prayer times so that we can, we can make sure that during those prayer times, our noise levels are uh, at a minimum, um, mm -hmm. which was a big deal for the, uh, the party that we threw, because one part of the story I forgot to mention was that it was actually, uh, we threw that party, it was during Pride, but it was also during Ramadan, which is the most uh, 
holy, uh, the holiest of uh, holy times for Muslims. So that was quite bad. Um, so uh, being uh, aware of those important times for the Muslim Center, I think, is really important. So uh, we write those down every day. And we make sure that that's part of the information that's disseminated to all the staff as they come on and to do their their, mm. their work day. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, well, a big list of things uh, to do, and we've we've sort of been working on it, and it came to a point where uh, I feel like um, our relationship became better. They invited us over for one of their open houses. We had dinner together. We were able to, you know, to talk and also talk about something other than uh, our neighbor crisis, you know, just to talk about just being neighbors, which was, I feel like, I feel like good. I feel like the, the healing process has begun and that's important. Um, mm. Yeah. So uh, that, and this, this all happened, you know, a few years ago, uh, I wrote that posts, uh, last month, just because Ramadan is coming again, and I was thinking like it's like a five-year anniversary of that whole event, and it was something that was so public at the time, but then sort of went offline when we sat down with the CID to like to chat it out, and I figured that the public, having been so much a part of that original story because it was so public, sort of deserved to have a follow-up. Uh, I guess, sort of uh, see how this story ended. Uh, and yeah, it was um, uh, uh, this, the, the, the post kind of blew up again. And like, and I think that's, I think that's interesting. And I think that speaks to a lot of, uh, of what people associate Good Robot with. Um, I can't tell you how many times when I've just met somebody new and I mentioned oh, I work for Good Robot. And the first thing they'll ask me is, well, how is your situation with the neighbors? I think, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. And I really do think that that is, it is part of our, um, it's part of who we are now as, mm -hmm. as a company, we are that company that had that situation with their neighbors. And so, but I think, you know, I, I think that it's important to be able to own these things and learn from them and uh, grow from them. Mm. Yeah. Would you say, you know, that experience led you to this course that, you know, staff will be having when they come back? Uh, yes. Uh, like you mean, like uh, the discourse for our staff when we come back? Yes. Uh, when we onboard, when, when we're onboarding new staff members, uh, the story, this story is part of the onboarding process. Uh, every staff member who, uh, who, uh, jumps on the floor, whether they're a new staff member that's, you know, having their first experience with Good Robot or if they're someone that they've, they've, they've been around for a while, they're just getting rehired because of uh, layoffs. Um, that story is super important. And I think that we don't want to, to just sweep it under the, the rug. We want to make sure that we're owning it. Um, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about this course that you are getting ready for staff when they come back? Oh yeah, it's super fun. Um, I, along with uh, we've uh, we've hired a, a human resources person. Um, uh, actually, it's interesting. Uh, the the HR person is the only one of the only current staff members that has been employed for Good Robot longer than I have, and uh, so we uh, built this uh, training program together, um, and. It's like a two-day course, 
and it is it's it starts off with all the information that you're going to want to need to know right off the bat like how am i getting paid uh what are my benefits uh what is it you know what's sort of like the day-to-day look like here um and this is everybody it's not just uh it's not just people who are working on the floor it's not just servers or bartenders as people if we hire a new salesperson they go through this program if we hire a new driver or a dishwasher or cook or whoever like everyone goes to this program we want to make sure everyone's sort of on the same page um with uh, sort of what our what our um sort of uh whatever what we're all about who who is good robot and like what are you what are you getting yourself into uh so yeah so and then the uh and then the, uh, the second part of it is um you know we discuss uh, uh our history and and uh, who we are, and you know what you're becoming a part of. Uh, it's 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 quite good. Um, the uh, the the building itself is filled with so many stories, um, just from the uh, the last five years. Um, part of part of the training is I, I take everyone on a tour of the entire complex, mm-hmm. so that I can uh, so I so that I can point out different different uh, events that happened in different different parts of the building or like what different things like we have so much uh art on the wall or like you know like the different uh, you know types of uh styles of seating that we've chosen you know why and like the different like you know what ghosts haunt what corners um i call it the magical history tour um you know this is a good time to rewind a little bit right okay I've been to the Good Robot, and it's—I mean—the vibe there is fun. You know, it's communities, happies, music. It's—it's it's fun. And then March last year, we had the very first shutdown. What were some things that you guys had to do? You know, to adapt to that, and you know, I guess the first, the second, and the third, and like basically the whole year till now. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the last year has been uh, a real challenge uh, for everybody on the entire planet uh for us we had a business model that was based off of um trying to get people to come to our fun space and drink beer now when that fun space was taken away we had to figure out well how can we still provide a fun good robot experience when everyone is uh, stuck in their homes. So our um, business model quickly changed into an e-commerce model where uh, now that we were able to uh, deliver to people's homes, like how do we make that work? Uh, so we spent an awful lot of time um, creating a website that works kind of still, you know, in development stage, uh, uh, learning how to do e-commerce uh, through Shopify, um, uh, hiring back servers as delivery drivers uh, or as like dispatch workers, uh, uh, you know, running running delivery kind of like a taxi service, I guess you could say. Right. Um, uh, but a big part of that is just like you know, how do we get beer into people's hands, you uh, know, in, in a time when they can't come to us? Uh, so uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of our social media as well has been just you know sort of like a lot of brand recognition, trying to. Uh, uh, introduce ourselves to people um, through uh, delivering uh, quick uh, germ-free beer to people's doorsteps. 
And I think we've, we've done some interesting things. Like I think we're, uh, we, we deliver uh, same day delivery beer later than any other brewery in town. Uh, like our cutoff, our last call for ordering is 8 PM. That's the seven days a week. Um, uh, we have the fastest delivery in town, I think. Uh, it once, once you order, uh, generally your beer will appear on your doorstep within two hours. Um, nice. I think creating, creating a reliable system as quickly as possible when the, when the pandemic hit was really key to us staying afloat because this isn't an easy time for small businesses. Um, so it's, it's sort of a time where you have to become creative, uh, <laughs> uh, really creative. So, and I think that, that, a, a big, that was a big part with the, uh, the buying the canning line as well. Just, you know, having a, an easier uh, way of uh, uh, sending, sending beer out. So now it's not because like, you know, when you're filling growlers, uh, you don't think about this, but like, you know, every growler you fill um, takes can take up to like, you know, like three minutes to fill. And like if you're if you're if you're sending out like a hundred growlers that day, that takes up a huge amount of your time. So having cans right. at the ready was was a big part of that sort of being mm. uh, having the thing the whole the whole operation work as slickly as possible, I guess. Um, but um, also a big uh, a big part of our shift as well was uh, we're. We really we did a lot of uh, work with nonprofit organizations uh, before the pandemic. We did this thing we called Goodwillbot, and Goodwillbot was uh, it was a system where every Monday we would uh, sort of offer up our tap room to a different nonprofit organization, and then they would have an opportunity to uh, get their word out just through uh, just we would sort of allow them to do any kind of event they wanted there. Uh, plus, we would give a percentage of every beer sold that day to that nonprofit as a fundraising uh, exercise. Now, once again, when, when we lost our, uh, our uh, space due to COVID, um, that all of a sudden became uh, sort of non-viable, uh, you know, cause you know, like we just couldn't have people in the space. So uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time um, re-engineering that program and we're going to be releasing um, we're going to be releasing it uh, later on uh, next month, I think, or, or sort of new version of it. But it's going to be based uh, on us a, a a model that we tried during the first couple months of COVID with the uh, IWK, um, where we had a single beer that we that we brewed, um, and then pro, uh, profits from that beer were cycled to uh, the IWK for uh, for important medical needs that they had medical equipment, and uh, and it was and it seemed to work really well. It's like, well, this is the this is the uh, this is the IWK beer, and then if you buy this beer, then you're helping to support this this uh, this group. And then uh, and then later on in the year, when changes brewing uh, formed, they did their first brew with us, and it was a similar model again where. Um, they made the uh, Blackberry Freedom and profits from that went straight to their organization. And we're like, you know what, this works really well. And um, I feel like it, we can be a bit more deliberate as to, you know, who, you know, who comes to us in the community with, with, uh, with needs and how can we help them uh, in, 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 and help them in the best way possible. So mm. now that being said, we haven't like, 
it's not we're not going to cycle all of our energy into that specific program where we have like a beer that is you know needs to be like fundraised. We're still going right. to we're still going to uh, have like an emergency fund. Uh, we have like a, a we have a, a, a small amount of money that we sort of like we keep for scenarios that we feel like we should, we would like to um, to uh, um, donate to like uh, for example. Um, during the uh, the fisheries dispute earlier last year, we were able to send some money out to the uh, up, up up to sort of help with that effort. Um, uh, also, uh, Changes Brewing we're uh, doing the uh, uh, the buy Black Birchtown uh, promo. I think that was really important that we sort of stepped in and helped with that. Uh, so, and then there's a, there's another section of it where we'd like to eventually get to a place where we can do like a uh, an ambassadorship as well, where um, not only people who work at Good Robot, but also uh, people who drink at Good Robot have an opportunity to sign up to volunteer for some of these MPOs. So, we're, where it's not we're not just cycling money, we can actually like perhaps you know like lend a hand in other ways too. So that's sort of that's sort of like in the nutshell what our Goodwill uh, partnership program is going to look like. Uh, this year, once we once we get it going, um, mm. Uh, mm. yeah. One thing, another thing that uh, stood out for me on your Instagram was this whole: you get a good robot bit if you are vaccinated. Uh, what, what was the reason behind that uh, campaign, and how is that going? Oh, that was. Um, I guess I feel like every once in a while, uh, I write a post that makes people either really happy or really angry. And I feel like that one was <laughs> that one was sort of like 50-50. Uh, we had this sort of idea that, um, and it's, I mean, it wasn't an original idea. I think Budweiser had already done it in the States, but it was like an incentive program that like, if you uh, get a vaccination and you can prove it, then we'll give you a free beer. It's that easy. And like, it's like, I, um, I, I thought that it might, it might, raise some eyebrows, but I didn't realize that it would create uh, a vitriolic uh, <laughs> uh, argument for days and days on end. Like four days after I posted that, people were still arguing in the comment section. Um, yeah, uh, that was that was when I first realized that the uh, the, uh, the there is a there's a large uh, group of people in Nova Scotia that don't trust the vaccine. And, uh, and yeah, we were, we were, we were called out on that. And it's funny, interesting, because like, I think I, I think we posted that like three days after we posted our update on the, uh, um, Islamic center, uh, uh, friendship story. And so I feel like it was, it was, a, it was a long week, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of emails, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, the vaccine thing was crazy. I, uh, we were called a lot of names, um, but I don't know. I think I still, I, I think I still uh, believe in it. And once we can open again, I think we'll, we'll, we'll start up that program again. Uh, I just got, I just got vaccinated, vaccinated last week. How was the experience? Uh, the experience was really interesting. I uh, like, is it sore? You know, do you, do you feel dizzy? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's I, I compared it to. Um, I compared it to the the next day I had the feeling that you have, if you've ever done like a mushroom trip, 
and then the next day where you feel like you've got a case of the dum-dums, if you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, that's how it feels. For me, anyways. Like, right. Yeah. I uh, I had a case of the Dum Dums and uh, and I was just kind of like sleepy. <laughs> so I mean, it's not so bad. <laughs> so so uh, if someone is taking the vaccine, it would be a good day to take a sick day. I'm guessing. Yeah, take yeah. In fact, you know, treat yourself. Take a couple. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna let you go, Brent. But before I do, you know, I want to say uh, I want to ask you this. Over the course of your life, you know, you've done things like from using your creative, your love for film has led you, you know, from video difference and then your love for your partner led you to Spain and then your love for, you know, creating things kind of led you back to Good Robot, right? How do you, you know, how do you adapt to what life throws your way? And, and basically that just your version, but more like if there's someone out there, and, you know, it's like, okay, I kind of have to roll with the punches. How do you handle, how do you handle all those things you do based on what life tosses your way? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question, Israel. Uh, I... Um, I think just what, what you said, uh, rolling with the punches is, a it's almost like an art form. Uh, I think if we learn anything over the last year is that, you know, you kind of have to be willing to pivot as, uh, as hardships and opportunities come your way. Uh, I think that I've lived a life that is not necessarily normal. Um, most people my age, uh, chose a direction and stuck with it. Um, I've, I've changed my career like four times now and I'm only 42. So, uh, I think that, <clears throat> I think that, uh, you just have to be open to the inspiration that the universe uh, hawks at you. And, uh, you need to not be afraid to go to places that you aren't comfortable. Mm. Um, those, those are like sort of the two things for me. Like I, uh, uh, leaving Saskatchewan for me was a big deal because uh, Saskatchewan is kind of like an island. It's not really close to anything. And, uh, and it's, it was kind of, I think for me, kind of scary to leave that, uh, that comfort because it was a lifestyle that I was very familiar with. Um, mm -hmm. But I've been sort of, but since, since then I've been leaving one comfort zone after another. And uh, I think, I feel like sometimes it's kind of like, uh, cut that cord and uh, listen to the inspiration of the universe. Cut that cord and listen to inspiration of the universe. Thank you so much for that. And um, Brent, thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary. And um, hopefully life will open up soon. People are getting their vaccines. And I think the age uh, limit is coming lower. So mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, thank you so much for uh, coming to the sanctuary. Thank you, Israel. This has been a real pleasure. I hope to talk to you again real soon. Maybe we can have a beer together. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs>